Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Working Therapist. Kirstie and I today are doing another how-to podcast on creating a spark, how to motivate the passive child developing communication and the child who's really a little bit more passive, more laid back. You know, this might be more of the go with the flow group, right? That's why kind of what we're thinking. And they're a challenge. They are. And I, I feel like a lot of times these are the ones that therapists are like, they throw their hands up in the air. I don't know what to do anymore. I've come to the end of the road. Yep. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I, I definitely think so. This is like I'm stuck. I don't know what to, you know, they're just not talking. You know, these kids necessarily aren't sit still kids. They're active kids potentially, but they're like, ah, I'm good. I don't really need to talk. I'll just, you know, get it myself. Yep. You know, and so also in this group also could be the child who's maybe developmentally challenged, more of the severe, profound group. You can use some of the topics we're going to talk about in the today's podcast for that group as well. So sometimes the kids who really, really are developmentally, cognitively, physically challenged, then this a lot of the concepts in this podcast would apply to that group as well. As we were getting this title ready and everything ready for this podcast, though, Hayden, you think you're passive. I still think I might be. So most of my adult working life, I've always thought, yeah, I'm super laid back, you know, really just chill, you know, just... You've used the word go with the flow. Go with the flow. Like, hey, you know, like often thought of myself as, you know, yeah, she's like an old shoe. Just just go with whatever, you know, just whatever. Just go with the flow. Kirstie and I make up, we're two of the three people that make up the leadership team here at PDT. And Anita is the other person that makes up the other part of the leadership team. And so on two different occasions, this happened to me. So about, I don't know, four or five years ago, I was talking to Anita and talking about how, you know, just so passive and go with the flow and relaxed I was. And I promise you, now Anita is a corporate coach. She works with people all over the world. Literally, this woman laughed for like five minutes straight, like five minutes. (laughs) And I was like, so I'm not passive. I think she's still laughing. (laughs) She is. So I'm like, I'm not passive. I'm not uh, go with the flow. And then a couple weeks ago, Kirstie and I were working together, was working this thing out. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was telling you, Kirstie, about this experience with Anita and about the fact that I had told her that I was passive. And really, in my head, I still am not 100% convinced that I'm not sort of go with the flow. And Kirstie looks at me and goes, what? You think you're passive? You think you're going with the flow? I was like, um, yeah. I did until I had a second person confirm it. <laughs> and then you went to give me like specific examples. Remember the day when I was sitting here doing that and you came in and you started asking a million questions about something? I was like, and that's not How passive? about you came in and started rearranging my office? And I was, that was, I need to do something with that. Can you put that back? <laughs> well, I mean, well, well, I just, I was helping, right? <laughs> it was very helpful. Or you were being totally passive. <laughs> totally not really sure. <laughs> I have no opinion whatsoever. So I guess I'm not such a passive individual. I do have apparently some strong opinions not on things. So much. That's no. right. No, no. <laughs> so when working with the passive child, this is a little bit of a challenge. Curiously, I say this all the time. For every little person that comes through the door, every single one, we have to change what we do to meet what 
the issue is, you know, so how we act, how we present, whatever it is we're doing, where we position our bodies, all of that, everything, it changes based on the need of the kiddo, you know? So for a child who's a little less like demanding in terms of requesting, it was really what we're talking about here. This is a challenge, especially for somebody like me, who's like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's do, let's do like, hey, I want this, I want that, I want this now, I mean, I want that now. (laughs) I'm very passive, right? For this little person, so how do you know you've got working with a passive child or somebody that's a little less, they're just not really that motivated to use words, right? They're not talking. They're not really using words. And a lot of times when I ask the parents, because I ask parents this almost in every vow, so what do they do when they tell you they want something? So let me pause here for a second. So as a speech therapist, if you're like, what am I doing here with my life? What do I do? Like the emergency stop button. What do I do? This is what you do. How does this person communicate? Like that's the question. That is the question that you answer for yourself on a daily basis. We figure out how this person communicates. And if you're listening to this thinking, Hayden, I don't know, that's not what we do. Think about it even for like a fluency kid. How does this person communicate? You're answering that question. A voice child, how does this person communicate? For a child who's not using words, how do they tell you they want something? Then what you do and the follow-up questions related to that, to that change, but basically at the core of what you do, how does this person communicate? So a lot of times I'll ask parents in a vow, so what do they do when they want something? How do they tell you they want something? For the passive kiddo, they may go get it themselves. They may take the parent's hand and go to get it. Or they may just be like, eh, whatever, so-and-so's got the juice. I'm just going to go over here. You know, they're just like, ah, whatever, it's too much of a conflict. I'm just going to do this. They got the train. I'm going to go play with the ball. You know, they just, maybe they aren't that motivated to talk. So even for a child, when I talked about maybe a child a little bit more severe and profound, you still have to ask the question, how do they communicate? So if a child who might be in a wheelchair, they're not moving so much, they're not talking, then still, how do they communicate? They communicate in some way, but then how they do it, it's a little bit of a challenge to figure that out. And so that's your job. You got to figure it out. And so that's where sensitivity consistency comes in, but I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But these little people, for a child who's not so motorically involved or maybe cognitively involved, for that child, they may be very active. They may be running around, you know, playing with toys. They're not just like sitting around doing nothing, but they just aren't really that motivated to tell you exactly what they want when they want it. And they're just like, oh, I play with a train, play with a ball, whatever. I don't care either one. You know, it's, they're kind of more of those types of kids. They're who I call the mastermind kids. Like, they're not going to be the front man. They're going to be the back office people that are controlling the show, but from behind. They don't have to be the front guy, right? As you're saying all this, Hayden, I remember so vividly my oldest, Liam, he's pretty passive when it comes to a lot of things in life. He was my passive child growing up. He didn't really fuss about stuff. I can remember at daycare, the teachers would be like, well, right now we're working on him. The kids steal his toy and he just leaves and goes and gets something else. And we want him to stand up for himself and <laughs> tell them no, but he was a late talker and he was completely passive. He could have cared less. He's like, yeah, whatever. He's not asking for it back. He's not going up to anybody else and asking for anything either. He's just going to go off and find something else. Yeah. He's like, look, it wasn't that much fun anyway. Take it. I don't care. Yeah. Those are the mastermind kids because those are watching and waiting and listening and looking and they're like... I'll get you. you just they wait. take everything in. Oh, that's they're for taking sure. it in. They are. They're the masterminds. And a lot of times, these also might be the second or third kids in a family. I know with yours, he was your first. So that doesn't always follow the case. But a lot of times, these are like the second or third kids, you know, where they're like, ah, whatever, red juice, green juice. I don't really care. Just give me some juice. So, like, the first one's like, I want the red juice or I want milk or whatever it is. And the second one's like, yeah, I'm with him. 
You know, I mean, like, <laughs> why talk? They're going to do it for me. I don't need right. to. I'm good. Mm-hmm. So they can't have people talking for them. So that's sometimes I'll ask questions about that. So, you know, hey, tell me about where are they during the day? Are they with you? Oh, they're at home with his brother. Like, oh, gotcha. Now, does his brother talk about? Oh, my gosh, he just doesn't stop talking. Okay, that's, mm-hmm. I got it. You got one of those potentially. With these kiddos, though, they're a little bit more laid back, less in your face. I want what I want when I want it now. You know, you might can get through a big standardized test with them. They might sit down and play a little bit longer. They might attention span a little bit longer. You may be able to get more accurate standardized assessment kind of thing because they They could be very active and they may not sort of be into that, but you might be able to get through like a PLS-5 and get like an accurate receptive score or expressive score, potentially with these kids. It's sometimes a little bit easier than the kids who are like ultra demanding and tantruming for whatever they want. These kids, you probably can get through a standardized assessment. Another big question that I try to answer with these kids are because they're not the ones that are requesting so much. They're the ones that really aren't saying that much. And you said something about the ear infections. I always ask, so have they had any ear infections? You know, and the parents are like, yeah, yeah, they've had some. Well, how many? You know, oh, I don't know. And I'll usually say ballpark it for me. I don't know, about five or six. And then I'll usually say, well, like within one year. Because usually the cutoff is if they have five ear infections in one year, they do need to go see the ENT. So I will to contact the pediatrician about a referral to the ENT if that's how their insurance works, but that's another day, another discussion. Anyway, I recommend that they go see the ENT. I usually will always ask the parents too, though. So do they snore? A lot of times the parents say, oh, they've had five ear infections in one year. I bet you money, more than 80% of the time, the answer to do they snore is a yes. Because no three-year-old or two-year-old should sound like Uncle Fred like snoring in the living room. Like really, (laughs) they should not sound like that. You should not hear that. And if you do, you need to go see the ENT. Also, you want to look to see Do they have a lot of congestion? Are they breathing out of their mouth? Are they breathing out of their nose? And are they very, very, very congested? So ask the parent, is this, are they congested just like today they've got a little cold? Or is this like, are they usually always breathing out of their mouth? And sometimes with the parents, it's gotten to be such a normal that they're like, you know, yeah, actually they are. They're breathe, they breathe out of their, yeah, you know what? He's congested a lot. Same thing with teachers. It gets to sort of be the normal for a kid that potentially has enlarged adenoids, what I'm getting at, that maybe they are really congested. They're breathing out of their mouth. And if they're breathing out of their mouth all the time and they're super congested, they're snoring, and they've had three, four, and five ear infections in one year, they need to go to the ENT to be assessed for potentially enlarged adenoids. And so maybe an adenoidectomy, I don't know, that's the ENT's call. And potential PE tubes, again, ENT's call, but they need to go see the ENT and they need some medical intervention. Now, that doesn't mean you can't see them for therapy. That just means you need to address that component. So pretty much you might not just be initially evaluating this child to determine, hey, they're passive. You might have worked with them for several visits and then got to a point where, oh my gosh, we're still not getting anything. Mm -hmm. So now come to find out you're having to shift your therapy approach a little bit because, you know, you, you can only get so much in that initial eval, but now you've done further diagnostics based on what you're saying. You've gathered more information. You know, you might have the ear infections coming into play now, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So through all that, Now, what do you do in therapy? All right. The biggest challenge with this particular group, so you've got a passive little kiddo, may need some medical intervention. We talked about that. Maybe not. But you got a kid who's really not trying to ask for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, if I get the swing, great. If I don't, okay, great. I'll just go find a ball. Or you know what? 
I'm not going to waste my time trying to talk to you about whatever it is. You're not going to understand me anyway, potentially. So I'm just going to go get it myself, right? You're just kind of in my way. So you just have this kid that's a little less motivated to ask for stuff, demand stuff, and want to go get it. They're just going to get it themselves, or they're just going to play with something else, right? Here's the thing. Here's the big thing. You've got to figure out what motivates them. That's the big issue. What motivates this kid? And I'm not saying it's like some special toy or some special activity. They're just like any other kid, but you just really have to figure out what motivates them. And that's a little bit harder. And it requires, I think, a little bit of movement. You know, you got to sort of throw them off guard a little bit, you know, this particular group. So, but they are pretty easy to engage, you know, because they're not demanding that much of you. So if you're like, hey, let's do the swing, they're like, sure, let's do the swing. Swing's good. Yeah. They're not saying all that. <laughs> if they were, they wouldn't be coming to you. But they're like, yeah, sure, let's do the swing. So, mm-hmm. but on the swing, what you can do is I always do a rhythm. So, for an example, I try to do like a little bit more movement. This kid, you don't have to shrink the room for. Like when I talked about the, in a different podcast, I talked about the demanding child or the child that tantrums a lot. You know, I talked about shrinking the room. With this kid, proximity is important. And I'll talk about that in a second, but it's not like they're potentially not necessarily running all over the room, you know, but you still want to have an order and a sequence to your therapy, but they're pretty much kind of go with the flow sort of kiddos and they'll do the swing or do the ball or do the car or whatever it is. So you're pretty lucky like that and they can do it. They don't mind so much. But I always try to do some movement activities in a session with these little people and some stay put activities. So for example, if you're doing the swing, then you know, you want to set up a rhythm, always start, do finish. So you want to start the swing. Okay, let's get on the swing. Go swing. Not that they're going to say go to start with, but go swing. And then you're going to go. And I usually always count because otherwise you're just swinging forever with no order, no start and finish kind of thing. So I usually always count or I might swing like row your row your boat because that's also in the beginning. And the reason I kind of like to sing with this group is because you can sort of play with your voice and it makes it interesting. You don't want things to be too rote for them to sort of get into a same kind of pattern. You want to keep mixing it up on them a little bit. I kind of swing and then I'll stop at the end of row your boat or whatever it is. Stop. But I always stop with their body suspended like up or back. You know, so they're kind of, not so they're going to fall off the swing, of course, but so that they're suspended in air with their body kind of leaning in some direction like you're you're setting up the expectation expectancy thing. Because remember, this group isn't that motivated to be like, make me swing. So if you stop it down, they'll be like, oh, okay, done. Well, I'll get off. That's fine with me. I'm good. You know, whatever. But instead, you want to kind of have it up in the air. So they are kind of their body sort of leaning, suspending, like go or let me loose or something, you know. Now you have to grow about four arms because you got them up in the air. You have to hold them up there and they can't let them fall. Like think about them on a platform swing. So you don't want them to fall off. So you want to make sure they're holding on and you got to hold your body. So you got to use your knee and your hips and everything else. Then I use the gesture like me. I help them pat their chest. Me. I do a hand over hand to go. And then again, sing the same song or count to five, but it's usually this one or the other. So then they know it's going to stop at a certain time and then stop at a different direction. So that it kind of mixes their body up, keeps them off guard a little bit. You know what? You want to keep this group guessing a little bit and kind of make them have to expect something, but you're kind of revving up their body, you know, and getting their body kind of revved and moving. And- because a lot of times these kids, I mean, we say passive, but their arousal level just 
can be a little bit low. It could be. Sometimes it's a factor in that. So I guess that's a good point. It really can be. And so you want to keep them engaged and interactive. So you want to kind of rev them up. There's another good game I do all the time is throw in like bean bags stuff. And so we may throw bean bags at a block tower we build out to knock it down so there's a big crash. And so it's a bigger crash, you know, uh, but nobody's getting hurt because they're paper blocks that you're building up or you kicking it over with your feet. Little boys love that, you know, and this group will stick with you a little bit longer. They understand that you stack the blocks up, you throw the beanbag and knock it down. There's some other groups of kids though, that that's too many steps and it's too far removed, you know, but this group has usually been watching and looking and thinking. So they understand stack the blocks up, wait a second, throw the beanbag. So it's fast paced and it's moving quickly, but their attention span typically is a little bit longer, you know? And I'm talking about mm-hmm. kids that are a little less, somewhat typical developing. They're just not using words right now. They're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. So mm-hmm. you want to do like a crash or a move or a bang or something like that to kind of keep them engaged and motivated. But you got to find what really works for them. And then you want to give them gestures. And so then you want to set up expectancy. So they have to request. They have to, to keep the thing going because you're kind of suspended them in midair. You've got the block tower built up. They want to knock it down. Like, boom. And you want to use some simple kind of words for them to do it. And you want to repeat those words. Another thing I like is the nano bugs. You know, those little tiny nano bugs that you turn on. They're like these little bugs and then they wiggle all over the place. They're made by hex bugs. They're the little ones, the nano bugs. I like to get about 10 of them, have them all turn on in my hand and then let them loose in like a little container. But if you let them loose all at one time, they're like all wiggling in that container and you kind of get a wow factor there. So you want to kind of do something to get these kids kind of revved up and engaged. And you want to also use like a lot of intonation, a lot of pitch changes and a lot of like whispering and then louder and kind of in the middle of something when they're not expecting it. You want to shake things up, you know, (laughs) some unexpected things. And you want to use a lot of pausing and expectancy. So when you set a routine up, like, so for a Again, I love a wind-up toy, a wind-up toy. You wind the toy up and you use the same pattern. One, two, three, go. And you wound the toy up and it goes and it does its thing. And then you more, more, or me, I usually use me. Me, and I pat my chest me, and then I'll pat their chest with my hand and their hand for me to make it go. And then we one, two, three, go. One, two, three, And then we pause and I'm kind of leaning forward, but I know I got them. I got eye contact. I'm close proximity. They're into it. They're excited. And I'll do one, two, three. And I'll just pause so that they're like, go, you know, or, and if they don't do anything, then I pat their chest with their hand to go or me is what we were doing. Me, same thing. Anyway, because you want to use a lot of that expectancy. So somebody's expecting something of them because they've been kind of passive. They're not expecting much of anybody else. They're like usually the good kid. You know, they're not having a fit. They're not demanding that much. They've been kind of able to fly under the radar. So you really kind of want to be in this kid's face, like, I'm expecting you to do something kind of thing, you know? That's why that movement and stuff is so important. They can't fly under the radar anymore. (laughs) The good kid. Because they're like, oh, yeah, you know what? They're never a problem. He's just so well behaved. And he's just so sweet. We just love him to death. Well, Not every three-year-old in this world, at some point, the three-year-old has a fit and we want them to have a fit because that's just normal, right? They have an opinion. We just have to help them get the words and the stuff to express the opinion. That's what it is, you know? So we don't want them to always be passive and laid back and sure, whatever, because they do have an opinion and now your job is to help them express it. That's 100% your job. So we want to get them to the point where they're having a fit about something. And then we want to teach them how not to do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that's somebody else's problem, not mine. I'm at that point. I'm like, hey, I did my job. I'm out. You're cured. Woohoo! <laughs> You're welcome. Don't think about it. You don't need to get me a gift. I'm fine. <laughs> so, this is the one where you see the mom later in the grocery stores. And like, oh gosh, you know, he used to never talk, and now he really does. <laughs> you know, that's where you see him later in the food line. They're like. Thanks a lot. I'm like, you're welcome. Yeah, no problem. Call me anytime. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Right? Like, because what do you say about your Liam now? Um, Now he doesn't stop talking. Amen. I mean, (laughs) you said, said, (laughs) because you and your husband aren't necessarily like, I mean, y'all are, y'all talk, but you're not like, chatting it up all day long every day and you're, and, and Liam, no I can literally yeah. sometimes hear from the other room Liam silence is golden <laughs> see he's our classic passive kid that was probably never got in trouble good kid quiet oh yeah we just oh I know he's just so quiet and he's so good and he's still good but you know he, but he has an opinion that you've heard it <laughs> oh no he does yeah. he does mm-hmm we have to give it to him, you know, we just have to help him find it. And some kids require a little nudge. Let me, as I wrap it up, the most important concepts that I want to get with these kids is sensitivity and consistency. So you really want to watch with these kids there and be sensitive to their communicative attempts and then being consistent in your responses. You want to switch it up during the session and move it stuff and then sit down activities. You want to keep switching them up a little bit to break the status quo is really what's important. But you also want to be really sensitive sensitive to their communicative attempts because I bet you nine out of ten times a lot of these kids are communicating in very subtle ways but it's very subtle you know and so you really have to be sensitive to that and you can build on it so they might be like eh with the swing like they barely move their body with the swing when they have them up high and you're like yeah you said go and then go so you want to be real sensitive to that subtle body movement and then you can build on it build on it because they're like oh look she understood I didn't know that those size people could understand me all right I'll do it again you know so you really want to do that because they've kind of written off a lot of people like eh whatever they're just a pain I'm not going to ask them I'll go get it myself you know so you really want to watch that because this group they probably are communicating in some subtle ways but you really got to be sensitive to those and very consistent in your responses and that's what you also want to communicate to the parents and the teachers and you also want to communicate to the parents ways to create pauses in this little person's world so that in regular activities and I said this before on a different podcast but in regular activities you just pretend like you've lost your mind and I gave this example before but like they're getting out of the car seat you go and you hit in the five point harness you go hit the first button to get out of the car seat right before you go to hit that last button you like pretend like you have no clue was you've never done this before in your life you're like oh you want out out and you sit there like huh and this group looks at you like let me out. They do like a little nudge forward or anything because this is not the group that's going to have a fit. And this is not the group that's going to be like, wah! This is the group that's going to subtly move their body. You're like, yeah, you said out. And then you get out and you build from there, you know? So you want to put little pauses just into the course of their day, getting out of the crib, getting out of the bathtub, giving them their juice or giving them a cookie just right before you go to do the regular activity, pause and say, you want out? Me? more whatever it is and just if they do anything it counts give it to them that's a word and then we'll build on it so that's it sensitivity and consistency so thank you all for listening thank you Kirstie for listening to me as well I appreciate it thank you for having me I think it's interesting which 
people, you got to listen to the other podcast to see the similarities. The kids who are tantruming. But thanks also for letting me use Liam. You do have a passive kid who's no longer passive. He is with some stuff, which sometimes can be frustrating, but yeah. (laughs) Well, but at least he can tell you about it now. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, but I don't think I breed passive kids considering I'm not passive. I don't think I ever had anybody personally that lives in my house. It's like everybody that lives with me wants stuff all the time. And they're not afraid to tell me every minute of the day. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, and they've been that way since they got here on the face of the earth, literally. But God bless them. Anyway, thanks, Kirsty. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 